Hello and welcome to Critical Eye Night and my name is Tom Radlick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. Now, one of the things that uh, people will be aware of because of the focus, intense focus on clean energy and, and, and the impact of energy sources on climate change is that sustainability is a buzzword that is appearing all over the place. One of the areas in which it will be increasingly visible is in the way in which companies have to both account for and disclose the implications of their actions uh, on the environment in reports to the marketplace. In recent months, we've seen new standards emerge from a body called the International Sustainability Standards Board. They're based in London. And those standards will become law over time in Australia. Um, Matthew Nelson, uh, EY's Oceania Chief Sustainability Officer, who's the internal guru on all matters sustainability, is joining me with this podcast to have a bit of a yak about the way in which these standards have been developed, what they mean, what implications they have, and what companies need to be doing to think about what it means for them in terms of one disclosure and two how they have to prepare for it uh, matt thank you so much for joining me thanks tom great to be here now before we dive into the sort of granularity of what people need to do in order to implement these things we've got two standards out there um we call them S1 and S2 for short in the accounting world. Most people wouldn't know what they are. What has actually happened in the past couple of months? Sure. So um, as you mentioned, the ISSB, the International Sustainability Standards Board, which is a subset of the IFRS Foundation, which is the financial reporting standards has issued these two S1 and S2, as you described them, standard one and standard two, very, uh, Innovative names, uh, Tom, being uh, S1 and S2. Um, so S1 relates to a broad sustainability standard, which is a requirement on anyone that would adopt the standard to report on those things that are material to the business in the sustainability world that potentially create risks and opportunities for the organisation. So it's a very broad standard that captures all sorts of different sustainability topics that would be relevant and material to a particular business. So that would include climate change, as you allude to, but would include other things like biodiversity, human capital, human rights, all sorts of different elements of sustainability that are important for particular organisations. So that's the first standard and what we classify as a bit of an overarching framework standard. S2, or S, the standard two, specifically relates to climate disclosures. And so that's effectively a subset of S1 and it relates to Again, it's about identifying the potential risks and opportunities of climate change to organisations, and it has some specifics on various metrics that should be reported under that standard by the organisations captured by it. I think it's important to note too here in Australia, um, Tom, those two standards will take regulatory effect when Treasury, through, for example, the Corporations Act, would mandate the adoption of these standards, then what happens is those international standards 
go to the Australian Accounting Standards Board, who will then issue an Australian equivalent of those international standards into the market. And then Treasury, through the Corps Act, would then mandate the adoption of those standards. So that's the process that we're right in the middle of right now. So Treasury have released a consultation paper asking for input on who, how and what would be mandated under the standard. And then once that's sort of worked through, the AASB will then release the Australian standard. And again, that'll go out for consultation and then ultimately will become then the standards adopted in Australia. So very consistent with what we see in financial reporting standards as well, Tom. I think it, just briefly uh, so that people understand where Matt's coming from, uh, back in the early 2000s, Australia uh, undertook to adopt what are known as international financial reporting standards issued by the International Accounting Standards Board that lives in London. Um, the model that's being followed in Australia for the sustainability standards effectively mirrors that approach because global regulators like IOSCO and the global regulators club known as IOSCO have actually said, well, these things are pretty good and people should adopt them. There is a mirroring of what has gone on. Now, one of the interesting issues, Matt, that come with this is we know these standards exist. We know that people are refining to whom they will apply. But they're going to have a, a bit like the accounting framework when it came in back when IFRS adoption um, was introduced. There's going to be a different level of readiness depending on who you are in the marketplace, how sophisticated your reporting mechanisms are, and how much of the um, ESG type reporting you've been doing already. Is, am, I, am I right in saying that? Absolutely, Tom. And, and I would say what we have tended to see is definitely the largest listed entities in Australia have had strong push from investors to be already voluntarily disclosing a lot of the information that's here. The standard S2, which is the one that has been identified in Australia as coming out and being mandated first before S1, is based very much on the framework of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures which has been a voluntary framework that organisations have, have adopted and many organisations have adopted that. So they, they are well prepared, I guess, to some extent for the issuance of this standard. Having said that, not everyone's in that same position, Tom. So there is quite a lot of inconsistency across, you know, corporates around their preparedness for, for this reporting. The other thing I would say is the TCFD, which has been you know, widely um, adopted by organisations and generally considered to be a very strong framework, is still voluntary. So the elements of it are very different once you become you know, operating in a mandated, regulated standards world, and the scrutiny that is attached to that obviously elevates as well. So even those organisations that have been reporting against the TCFD for some time are still likely to need to put a lot of effort and focus on this in order to prepare their organisations for this type of release when it when it is implemented, and the speed of the implementation, I would say, is is um, 
relatively unprecedented um, in that, you know, it's not unusual for financial reporting standards to take anywhere as up to five years to actually get better down and implemented. In this circumstance, the ISSB has released the standard really in kind of 18 months or so, and it will be adopted in Australia within a 12-month timeframe. So the timeframes for this are much quicker than we've seen in the past, and that is very much because of the urgency about the issues that we're actually facing. Okay, now on that, on the issue of transition to these standards, you've mm-hmm. noted that they're going to be, um, that there is a, what I would call a truncated time frame for, in, for implementation. Um, what does that mean for you know, the preparers of disclosure when they think about what they must do within a short space of time. I think that means that pretty strong focus across the organisation is needed in in uh, with, with some urgency if it's not already there. I think the other thing is that bringing together, org- you know, teams within your organisation that capture different capabilities, so bringing in your climate or sustainability-related capability alongside your finance and alongside your corporate reporting capability is necessary. So we are seeing sort of tiger teams being developed within organisations to bring together to focus on on this topic. I think um, having said that, what we are also looking to sort of really push organisations to start to have conversations at the executive level, but even at the board level, is getting people aware of the nature of the disclosures. So what are the metrics that will be disclosed? What are the, the qualitative discussions that will need to be had? So people can start to get their head around what it is that is likely to be put out into the marketplace and how does that actually then equate to others in the same industry sector as you. It's worth noting, Tom, that one of the key reasons that there is strong push to adopt the ISSB standard here as well as overseas is there is a pretty strong desire on both sides, on both the investor side as well as the corporate side, for consistency in reporting. There are so many frameworks that are currently being used, so many different analysts, surveys, so many different frameworks that corporates are really wanting to embrace this standard that enables them to get consistency. A bit of work to to go before that actually occurs, but that's ultimately the objective and the hope that uh, the ISSB standards will deliver. It's worth noting that the objective is similar to that with the accounting standards, which is having a Correct. a single framework against which um, performance can be measured, uh, as opposed to having multiple frameworks for which reconciliation. That is, you know, back in the day before IFRS came along, when people had to reconcile numbers when they were listing in other markets because of the fact that yeah, it was a different language they were using. So you needed a process of translation in order to, for something to make sense in the US market, for example, if an Australian company was uh, was listening over there at, at a point in time uh, in, in regulatory history. And we're stripping this task down, Matt, and we're looking in, you're looking at a, at a company, you know, what are the levels of activity that people need to think about? So the first thing is obviously kickstarting data gathering processes and procedures within your organisation. So 
most most of our large entities, those that will be captured um, as as currently proposed under the Treasury consultation paper, the companies that will be captured, a lot of them have already been reporting for some time under other regulatory schemes. So, for example, the National Greenhouse and Energy Reporting Scheme has been in place for some time, okay. and some data has already been captured by organisations, and that that is relatively substantive. There is new information, though, that is required under S2 that organisations haven't had to report on previously. So, for example, scope three emissions or even the nature of risk in the short, medium and long term, the potential implications of those risks to uh, not just to assets, but also to cash flows and so on. These types of metrics haven't been previously reported against. So step one is to really quickly get in place data gathering processes that will need to be in place at the start of the period in which we're going to see this um, standard mandated. So in Australia, again, as what's in currently in the Treasury consultation suggests, that that year will start in 1 July next year. Um, and so you will want to make sure that you're capturing the data from 1 July next year. So getting on to data capture processes will be extremely important in the next six months, even in advance of the finalisation of the actual standard itself in Australia. So there's probably enough information for organisations to get on onto that now if they haven't already. Um, so that's probably step one. Step two is then looking at making sure that execs and boards see the nature of the way that you're going to disclose this information. So getting comfort around what it looks like, what the definitions are, what are the inputs, what are the assumptions, all of those sorts of things that will need to be disclosed to, to the market in an S2 type disclosure so that you can start to see that well and truly in advance of when it would be released to the market. And then the third one is trying to get a picture of how you then stack up against your, let's call it competition, but your sector. So when I say competition, that's competition either for customers or it can actually also be for capital. What 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 is this information going to show? Because that's obviously what it boils down to. If, you, if you're in a particular sector and you release this information and you somehow look better than your competition or, or your, your, within your sector, then potentially it helps you and it gives you an opportunity to actually gain access to more capital than previously you did. But obviously the flip side is, is the case as well. So get that third point of making sure that you know how you stack up uh, across the sector as this information is going to be released will be, will be important. That's a big question mark in the Australian market, which we can versus other markets as well, Tom, which maybe is another question. There is another thing that, that people are probably conscious of because massive proactivity in the area of greenwashing, which is not only do you have the standards coming in, new information going out there, but also a regulatory overlay that's already kicking around um, that is telling companies they need to be very careful that what they say can actually be substantiated. Yeah. Um, in, otherwise, there might be a little bit of trouble. The The proposition of how you gather, you know, you, you set up your internal pigeonholes to capture data that you need, and then the presentation of that data and getting comfort around it is probably well understood. Um by those listening, but there's something else that's also 
fascinating, but even in some respects more important, and that is how do you get assurance on this stuff? Yeah, so great question, Tom, and obviously that needs to be part of the discussion because, you know, it is expected that this information, you know, will be need to be subject to assurance. What level of assurance and the timing of when that assurance needs to be executed on, I think we're still waiting to see the finalisation of that from, that, that will be largely set, I expect, by Treasury. Um, so still, still, you know, a bit of a watch this space in terms of when and and what, but I think we would all acknowledge that there is no question that it will be subject to assurance um, at some point. I think this is the, it's a very unusual circumstance for some of the information that's captured here where you're almost starting from a clean slate um, rather than, you know, a, a built-up kind of set of information that has been within an organisation for a long period of time and therefore processes and systems are are already and well and truly established and have, haven't necessarily been designed for the purposes of assurance, which we often see in some financial reporting spheres. In this circumstance, I think the point I would make here is about engaging with your assurance provider early in the process so that you are designing the processes and systems that will capture this information in a way that will be able to then sub be subject to assurance. The one thing I would say both about the reporting and the getting the comfort of what's to be reported and then subsequently what is to be subject to assurance that does create some challenges for both reporters and assurance providers is the nature of sustainability-related information, particularly in the climate sphere, being relatively forward-looking. So if we think about you know, this whole concept of scenarios, which is built into S2 as the standard and also was previously in the TCFD, i.e. What, what are the risks under various climate scenarios, is a very challenging circumstance because a scenario is quite different to a forecast. Um, you know, a forecast is what do I think the scenario is that's going to play out and therefore what do I forecast against that versus the level of risk associated with different scenarios that may play out. There are so many complexities about what type of scenario is likely to play out in the world, political, overseas, local, domestic, physical impacts of climate are also all over the ship. So those types of challenges are things that we're going to have to work towards. However, I, I think that, you know, as long as we're clear around assumptions, the way that the market actually state, sees those assumptions and the transparency attached to it, as well as potentially guidance around how organisations should report against these things, uh, we will be able to get there. I, I don't think it's it's an insurmountable hurdle, but but a hurdle nonetheless. If we, the way you've described it uh, in terms of, sort of scenarios and things that are forward-looking, it feels like reporting is hitting closer towards a prospectus-style approach as opposed to the, the the state of play as at a point in time that we've had with financial reporting. Am I characterising it correctly? Yeah, I think that's probably not a bad analogy, Tom, with, with perhaps some caveats okay. in that I think that the comment I'd make around scenarios as they're currently provided, you know, 
different investors will have different views about which scenarios are more or less likely to play out. And therefore, being clear in the disclosures around which scenarios you've identified, what assumptions are built into those scenarios does give investors the information that they need to sort of turn around and say, well, actually, I don't necessarily think that scenario is going to play out. I think this one is. I can then use that as a basis for making my own decisions because I've got the information that's presented to me. So I think if you look at some of the high quality disclosures around TCFD reporting that we see in the market now, Tom, that's exactly what the information helps investors actually do. They can kind of see the ranges of what is expected what the implications of different scenarios will be that enables both an organisation to have its forecast but also gives investors information to make their own decisions. And that is the basis, obviously, of the capital market, that investors will make their own decisions based on the information that's available. But it is different, no question, it is different to financial statement information. And I think we do need to acknowledge that And actually, the reason that we needed the TCFD, Tom, in the first place, and the fact that we need this standard, is we acknowledge that financial statements currently don't provide enough information on this particular topic in order for investors to make the right decisions. That's why we need this standard. Otherwise, it should just be built into the financial statements, and it's not. One of the things people are probably used to seeing in financial reports is the current year and then a comparative period. Are we likely to see a comparative period when we kick this thing off or or don't we care about it when it comes to sustainability and we just start capturing stuff from 1 July 2024? Um, we will ha- we'll definitely have some information that we'll be able to do on a comparative basis. Um, so if you think about some of the core metrics that are required under S2, and obviously, Tom, we've been talking much more about S2 largely because it's the one that's going to be implemented in Australia first and, and has had the most discussion and, and development. But under S2, yeah. um, if we take about some of the core metrics being, say, for example, Scope 1 and Scope 2 greenhouse gas emissions, that is very much consistent with what we've seen in financial statement assurance uh, reporting in that you have, it's a backward looking number, it's related to the year that's just gone and there is comparative periods that you'll be able to do that comparison. So you'll be able to see for most organisations a trajectory of scope one and scope two greenhouse gas emissions. For others, that will be more challenging. So if we take scope three, there would be lots of organisations, many organisations, that have not yet reported on their scope three or even calculated their scope three emissions. And so for those types of metrics, it'll be, this is the baseline year, 22 or the first year, 24, 25 financial year will be the baseline year. And uh, we'll be able to then look at comparative periods moving forward. Um, So the answer to that is a bit of both. obviously going to face a bit of a challenging time. There's a whole bunch of people that are going to be rushing rushing to embed all of this. There's something else, though, that is worthwhile exploring briefly with you, and that is um, there's a lot of education that's going to have to take place. What challenges do you see for the academic community that is 
in part responsible for nurturing the minds of you know, finance professionals in the future as they grapple with the new guidance that's flowing through. Yeah, I think I think the biggest challenge that the academic um, the academics are going to face is how do I take the information that is released from S two and and subsequently S one when it comes into play, and use that for the basis of it analyzing performance or outcomes. So again, the whole point of having these standards is that the more information is available. Now, the, the IFRA standards are built purely for investors, but it gives more information available to actually get a sense of what type of performance we're actually working on. Yeah. The part that I think academics have a hugely important role to play and hopefully will play this role is to actually take that information and analyze it and actually identify where things are improving, where things are lagging, and what can we learn from the information that enables us to accelerate action to get the changes that we're actually trying to drive. So that whole dis debate as to what is measured matters, we need the academics to do the let's make it matter. And otherwise, this will be a, an exercise of not delivering anything and it'll just be more burden for corporates without any necessarily strong outcomes. So that's the bit that I, maybe it's not a challenge for them, but maybe it's me challenging them, uh, Tom, to uh, to come out and, and actually use this information as a basis for change. Well, you've, you've tackled the sort of research element. There's also curriculum development. How do you tool the students up to be able to do some meaningful work when they finish their degree? That's the other yeah. one. I, absolutely. And, you know, I can I can tell you it's it's very rare to come across uh, an, um, a student coming out of school or university that doesn't care about this sort of information and isn't extremely interested in it and wants it to be part of their their jobs going forward. Um, you know, there is extremely strong appetite for this. And it's actually not just the kids coming out of university. It's across the board. So if I look at, you know, if I asked and surveyed the number of people at EY and, and the people within the organisation that have interest in this, I can tell you that the numbers would be off the charts. You know, it's probably one of three of the most most desired discussion points and most of most interest to uh, to our existing um, people. So I think you know there is a role for universities to play um, in stepping up to that and. Uh, and you know, making sure that they're doubling down on curriculum to focus on this topic for sure. I've been talking to about Matt Nelson, who is the well, I call him the chief sustainability officer, the sustainability guru, really uh, at EY. Uh, Matt, when people, if people want to go to find more out more about sustainability. Um, yeah, firms like yours have a lot of information. Where do they go, uh, in your case, to have a bit of a look at look see at what what's available? Yeah, biggest challenge that you've got with sustainability information, Tom, is not so much that you can't find it; it's that you're drinking from a fire hose and you don't know how to actually navigate it because there's so much information that is out there. Okay. Um, you know, in 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 a nutshell, as strange as this is going to sound. Actually going and reading the two standards, which in most circumstances, if I said that you were going to go and read an accounting standard, uh, it would scare everybody off, uh, Tom. But in this circumstance, actually reading the standards 
is extremely useful um, and they're actually digestible. They're not too hard to read. So, you know, the, the, the ISSB standard is something I would encourage people to go and actually have a read of. Obviously, um, at EY, we, obvi we, we do put out a lot of thought leadership. We have a carbon barometer where we've been tracking climate disclosures over a number of years under the TCFD. And we talk about the nature of those disclosures, who's reporting against them, what's the quality of those disclosures. So going and actually doing a look at our carbon barometer will give you a picture of where we've come from over this journey. Okay. And then subsequently to that, we do have more information that sort of starts to unpick the IFRA standards and actually provide some analysis on what are the requirements, what are the things that businesses will need to tackle, what's going to be challenging, what's not going to be challenging and those sorts of things. So we have put out some information that kind of starts to look at the standards so that it gives a bit of colour to, to what's included in them. Um, if you're really uh, passionate and you want to... Uh, Get into a lot more detail, um, which well, I'm sure many people will not. You can go and actually actually watch uh, an accounting Australian Accounting Standards Board is actually it's very public, and you can actually go and uh, have a look at the recording of the uh, the board discussions that we've had on it. If you really wanted to uh, to get into it, Tom. Oh, but yes, well, that's only for the uber nerds and then those for whom... Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. They, those who don't regard reading an accounting standard or financial reporting guidance as being a non-chemical cure for insomnia. Now, <laughs> I've, been, I've been talking to Matt Nelson, uh, EY, Oceania Chief Sustainability Officer, looking at sustainability standards and what's going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months. Give me a tip. There's a lot of people that'll be very busy. Matt, thank you so much for making yourself available. Thanks very much, Tom. It was uh, great to have the discussion and uh, um, really appreciate the time you've taken too.